Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see so many here. Um, it's just wonderful. A wonderful morning, just celebrating Noah's new life in, in, in Jesus and in God. And uh, I hope that you've uh, really enjoyed your, your time together here this morning. I'm just going to pray. Let's just stay before Father, shall we? Thank you. You're a good, you're a good, good Father. Just thank you that you embrace us, Heavenly Father. Just wanna, I just want to receive that this morning. just want to receive that this morning. Just thank you. You delight in us so much. Lord, we need to keep hearing that. We, we need it so much. We pray, Lord. I pray this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come? I thank you. It says that you pour the love of God into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We receive that. We welcome that this morning. We Drink deeply from you, Father. Amen. Amen. Well, a very happy new year. If I haven't uh, said hello to you, I've been wishing people a merry new year for most of the morning because it's taken me a little while to get over the general Christmas craziness. So I'm uh, gradually edging back into, uh, into life as usual. But uh, um, we've been thinking already quite a lot through the worship and through the songs we've been singing this morning about God being a father. Have we got any, well, I'm sure we have. Have we got any dads in the congregation this morning? Quite a few dads. It was wonderful just having, uh, having Paul Honeyset as well here. And loads and loads of dads. Do any of you dads, keep your hand up if, you, if you're the proud owner of, of one of these. There's various variations of this. Uh, this one is, is awesome dads. We have, uh, there's the greatest dad in the universe I've seen going recently. Uh, the world's best dad is another variation. Any, any let's, you know, don't, don't be shy. Don't be shy, gents, yet. Lots of these. Okay. Um, I hate to have to break something. I'll, I'll say this as gently as I possibly can. There is just a little bit of an outside possibility, maybe, conceivably that you might not actually be the greatest dad in the universe. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's an outside possibility, you know, I'm not, I'm, but there is, there is just the tiniest chance that someone might be there. But actually, when God reveals himself in the Bible, he reveals himself as the one who actually is the greatest father. And there was this time when the disciples came to Jesus and I think they had seen something in the way that he just engaged with God, the way that he prayed, and, and they saw a depth of relationship and a depth of intimacy and a depth of power, and the way that he related to God was like nothing and no one they'd ever seen. And they came to him one day and they said, Jesus, can, could, you, could you teach us how to pray? Because you know, if, we, if we could talk with God like you talk with God, like, that would be phenomenal. And, and Jesus says, all right. He says, well, when you pray, pray like this. And he says, first of all, pray our Father. Some of you might know the rest of it. But he says, for the, the first paradigm you need to get into your mindset is that actually God has revealed himself to us. God has showed himself to us in many different ways. The, the, the primary, the heart of which is that he comes to us as a father, as a perfect father. I think we all have different experiences of of for many of us, being a father and, and of our own earthly dads. But actually, God comes and reveals to himself to us in the pages of Scripture as one who is perfectly the archetypal father. 
So I'm going to get you to do a little bit of work this morning. Okay, so um, I did this with some of our interns recently, and we spent all day. You'll be pleased to know that we won't be unpacking this for all day, but uh, they come up with some fantastic ideas. What I'd love you to do is just in your row, grab somebody near you, grab somebody you haven't met, and just have a quick chat. If God is an awesome dad, well, what does an awesome dad do then? You know, if someone said, um, you know, if uh, Lloyd and Kate haven't have made it this morning. No, they had, uh, if it had well hasn't been announced yet, but uh, <laughs> wonderful little girl born this week. Okay, so if they're kind of saying, okay, what, what does an awesome dad do? Well, what do you think? Have a little chat to people next to you. Okay, see if you can come up with a few ideas. What does an awesome dad do? Um, somebody over this side, any ideas? What, what, what do great dads do? Don't all jump at once, go for it. <laughs> well, that's something quite close to my heart. Picks you up on time, fantastic. Set some boundaries, okay, I might come back to that later, that's great, brilliant. Anyone further back this way? Changes my dirty nappy, yes, excellent, well done all you dads who are busying yourself uh, changing dirty nappies. I can see one over this side, pardon? Protecting you, fantastic, that's awesome. Keep going. Fixes things. <laughs> Fixes that, yeah, don't, don't, don't talk to me about that. Uh, <laughs> our bathroom light switch still not working, let's put it that way. Uh, okay, anyone else around the middle here? Takes good care of us, fantastic. Okay, one more. Loves you, amazing. We'll definitely come back to that later on. Well, I have to say, Impact interns much better than you guys. But okay, we'll we'll, we'll pick through a, we'll pick through a few of these. So um, the first thing that really struck me, well, one of the things that really struck me was that a father loves to provide. I, since since becoming a dad myself just over five years ago, I've learned to appreciate dad jokes a little bit more than perhaps I used to. And uh, one of one of my favourite ones, which popped up on my Facebook feed recently, was was a good dictionary definition of the word dad. It was dad noun, a man with photographs in his wallet where his money used to be. Uh, which uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you for. Uh, <laughs> it's it's always disconcerting when you set something up as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> But actually, there's something inherent in the heart of a father that he wants to provide for his children. Now, I have to confess, and maybe some of you dads can relate to this, that there are sometimes maybe I wish I had a little bit more disposable income to spend on other things other than providing for my, uh, for my children's needs. But actually, the wonderful thing about our Father in heaven is he shows us that he delights to bless his children. It says this, or Jesus teaches this in Matthew. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then he kind of does a bit of a show of hands. He calls all the dads uh, out of the crowd who were there. And he says, right then, okay, so let's say one of your kids comes to you and, and, and asks for some bread. Are you, are you going to just say, no, I'm just going to give you a stone? No, you, you wouldn't do that, would you? He says, and he says, okay, well, if, if he comes and asks, asks you for fish for tea, are you going to give him a serpent? And then Jesus, in his typical doesn't-hold-any-punches style, says, well, if, if you then, being evil, thanks, Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven 
give good things to those who ask him. One of the most amazing kind of things that I realized that God showed me about his heart a few years ago was how much he enjoys blessing us. I love this, this scripture in, um, in Jeremiah 32, um, which just talks about the, um, the, the, the delight and the joy that God takes in blessing his people. He's, he's writing about the, the nation of Israel, and he says, I will rejoice in doing them good. In other words, this isn't just something that he does because he's kind of obliged himself to do that. Well, that's his role as king of the universe, so he has some kind of moral obligation to answer our prayers every now and again. No, he says, I rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness, he says, with all my heart and with all my soul. I think a lot of Christians are familiar with, uh, with, with that great commandment where, where God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And we know that and we memorize that and we think, yes, I'm going to do that. But we forget that God says the exact same over us. He says, I relish, I enjoy doing them good when he wakes up in the morning, so to speak. He doesn't wake up in the morning and, and, and thinks, well, this, this is going to be, this is something that I delight in. This is something that's going to bring me joy that I get to do good to my children. He's not thinking, well, I wish I had a little bit of spare cash left over so I could go on holiday and not, not you know, buy more nappies. Actually, he said, no, I delight to provide for my children. One of the ideas we had over here was, was, was around boundaries. And um, it's quite interesting. I've, I've chatting with a few of you guys in the pub recently about different kind of boundaries and different rules and how we do our homes and, and all these kinds of things. And actually, I think those of you who are parents will know, you, you, you know, we, we kind of need to have some kind of boundaries and, and rules and things to keep the peace. But what I love about the Father's heart towards us is that actually he even gives us something more incredible and more powerful than that. If we turn, if you've got your Bible or your phone with you, you might want to come with me just to the book of Galatians um, and chapter 5. And um, Paul is speaking to a church that he's helping to, to, to oversee and to strengthen and support. And he's speaking to some believers there. And, and they've, they've kind of been messed about by some people who've come along and taught that they really need to strive and achieve and perform so that God will be impressed with them and pleased with them. And he says this in verse 16. He says, actually, I've got a better way for you. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's saying, actually, there's, there's, there's a step-by-step -step walking you can have. If you're living your life filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're taking every step, every moment of every day, walking in partnership with him, actually, you are not going to be fulfilling those wrong desires that well up in your heart. And then powerfully, in verse 18, he says this. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are no longer under the law. Or I suppose we might say, you are no longer under the rules. I used to, uh, when I was a teenager, I used to do quite a lot of sailing. And um, sometimes I was uh, just out, and, um, I was kind of sent off for some dinghy sailing lessons and so on. So I'd kind of be in a solo little boat and uh, desperately trying to learn how to sail this thing. And often you'd, you know, you'd get the instructor who was you know, a couple of hundred yards away in a, in a, little, uh, a little dinghy thing, kind of yelling at you through the, you know, through the loud hailing, pull this, don't do that, so don't, don't crash into that thing over there. And you're kind of bombarded with instructions from the outside. And I'm thinking, this isn't helpful most of the time. <laughs> Actually, where I learned 
to sail, where I learned to do most of my sailing was doing it side by side with my dad. When I was there in the boat, and in, we were doing it in partnership together, and he was coaching me and he was helping me, and it was that being led by him from the outside in. And he says, actually, if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. We're not, we're not being led by all these external commandments. Actually, we have the Holy Spirit in us, causing us to do the thing that, that is right. I know I've probably shared this a, a number of times. I used, to, um, I used to be a primary school teacher, and quite often children from different faith backgrounds, Muslims and Sikhs and Jews and, and others, would, would come to me and say, um, Mr. Finley, Mr. Finley, um, in your religion, are you not allowed to do whatever it was that they're not allowed to do? Or they would say, Mr. Finley, Mr. Finley, in, in your religion, do you have to pray five times a day? Do you have to do X and Y and fast and all of these things? I had a great conversation with some Muslim mums about fasting. And, uh, and they were kind of, just keep asking this, in your religion, do you have to do this or do you have to not do this? And I was able to say, actually, well, that's, that's not really it. Actually, I, I, I don't do these things because... I have the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the presence of the God of the universe living in my heart. And that relationship is the greatest thing I've ever known. If you were to offer me everything in the world, everything else, or you were to offer me that ongoing relationship, that fellowship, that deep knowing of the presence of God within me, I'm taking God. Because I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid, right? Right? And so actually, that is something that I want to fiercely guard. And if things start coming into my life, actually, that are going to jeopardize that relationship, that worship, that knowing him, that enjoying of his presence, then, then I want to be getting them out of my life pretty quickly. He says, if you're walking in step with the Spirit, you will not fulfill those desires. He gives us something far better than a set of boundaries. He gives us something far deeper than a set of rules, a set of commandments to follow. He says, I'll put my spirit within you in Ezekiel and I will cause you to keep my commands. That's the heart of the Father towards us. So we think about a great dad being someone who provides for their kids. We think about a great dad being someone who, who sets boundaries and, and, and coaches and nurtures. I suppose also a great parent is someone who sometimes brings some discipline. Yeah? So... Uh, if you've got your Bibles, if you've got your phones, then come with me to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 5. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regard it light. Don't, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you're left without discipline, in which you have all participated, then you're illegitimate children, not sons. And besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? I don't know if... Uh, any of you at school ever had uh, one teacher in particular who seemed to particularly relish um, getting you into trouble? Anyone ever have one of those? They seemed to take great pride and great delight, almost as if they got an extra pay bonus if they managed to get you into detention. Anyone have any teachers like that? Yeah. For me, it was Mr. Denning. 
Mr. Denning was, uh, was the geography teacher and also the deputy head. And um, he was probably the only member of staff who could instantly strike fear into the hearts of, uh, of, of, of any of the kids. And um, there was one particular scenario. I was generally, believe it or not, a relatively well-behaved person at school, so I didn't, I didn't suffer the wrath of, of Mr. Denning particularly often. But there was one scenario when a friend of mine uh, called Mo, uh, who did happen to look not dissimilar to me, I will, I will, uh, I'll give you, and, um, and also went to school on the same bus as me, he decided that it would be a great idea that over the, over the course of various weeks to smuggle in a small number of cans of lager every day and then accumulate them into a stockpile of about 200 ready for the school disco, um, which he had been successfully doing, kind of lugging this, this thing in on, in on the bus and kind of stashing them in various people's lockers over, over a, a period of days before somebody must have tipped, tipped off Mr. Denning. It probably was fairly obvious what he was doing, I imagine. Uh, and... Um, and I was quite frightened at the time to find that uh, I was being hauled into Mr. Denning's office. Uh, and, he, and, he, and he says to me, sit down, Mo. And I'm thinking, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> and, and proceeds probably for the next 20 or 25 minutes to absolutely unleash it. Um, about five minutes in, I, I, I started to try and kind of raise my hand and suggest that perhaps I wasn't the person that he was looking for, because I, I honestly had nothing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> and he was incredibly sheepish after, after about the 20 minutes when I managed to kind of get a word in edgeways and get, actually, I, I, I'm Jamie. And <laughs> But there seemed to be some, some kind of relishing in his heart of, 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 of get, you know, fine, finally having the opportunity to, to get you into trouble. I think for some of us, we walk through our life, particularly as Christians, with this kind of nagging fear in the back of our mind that that is kind of who God is. That he's there, kind of, that he's got his eye on us, not, not because he delights in us, but because he's just waiting you know, what, what, what can I get them on this time? I always had to convince my, my children when I was teaching about this all the time. In fact, after a while, I got so sick of this mentality that the children seemed to think that we got some kind of pay rise every time they got in trouble for something. I actually had a big sign up on my door. Mr. Finley is on your side. <laughs> and I would teach them this regularly. I'd say, listen, my, you know, I teach you maths, great, whatever. But I'm here to help you grow as a person. And I'm here to help you become the best you can be. And sometimes that might mean disciplining you, but actually my heart is that I'm going to help you and coach you and help you to grow. And um, I, think that, I think what we need to establish when, when we think about our understanding of God is that actually God's heart is to delight in us. And when he disciplines, his discipline is never to do with punishment. So how can we know that? If you're someone who is... A Christian here this morning, maybe you've been baptized, you've trusted in Jesus. I've, I've, heard, I've sometimes heard Christians come to me and say something like, um, oh, I've been really ill recently, or all these things seem to be happening. It seems like God is punishing me. Okay? How can we know that is not the case? How can we know that that is not the case? Actually, we've sung about it a lot this morning already, haven't we? When Jesus went to die on the cross... He did it for a very specific purpose. He was willingly, lovingly putting himself in our shoes, taking the fullness of the punishment, of the consequence for every single thing that you have done, that you are doing, that you will ever do. He didn't 
Stand in your place there to take 90% of the consequences or 98% of the consequences or 99% of the consequences. He came there to take the full punishment for your sin and my sin once and for all. And therefore it will not, it cannot, it must not be poured out again. I think there are, there's, there's a concept in, in many different countries' legal systems, isn't there, called double jeopardy. I'm, I'm, this is legal knowledge way out of my comfort zone. But just this, this, this concept that actually you can't be tried for the same crime again. Actually, justice has been done. Jesus stepped forward in front of you, in your place, in my place, saying, I'll pay that. I'll take that in fullness, the full consequence forever. And therefore, it is unthinkable that God would ever pour out that punishment on us again. This is what the Apostle Paul says in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 regarding the discipline of God. Actually, when things come that, 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 that shape us and challenge us and refine us and when he speaks in that, that word of challenge into our hearts, it can feel hard, but it's not the discipline of, it's, it's not the punishment of God. It's God shaping us. It's God refining us. It's God leading us. It's God bringing us into a place where we are walking strong in love. He says this in verse 32. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. God is not condemning you. Paul is trying to reiterate. When actually, when we feel the, 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 the when some, you've probably experienced this, sometimes you feel this, the, the finger of God's conviction on that thing in your heart. Oh no, no I, I, can't, I can't keep going there. I can't, I can't keep doing that. When these things, when, when trials and, and situations are allowed to come against us and they shape us and they help us to learn to walk in love, it's not God's punishment against us. He's taken that in full. He delights in you. He fills you with his spirit. I think, again, when I was teaching, I, I often used to reflect that there's, there's kind of two ways often that you, you manage the classroom and you discipline in the classroom. And, and the first is very pragmatic. The first is very responsive. So I've got a maths lesson to teach, and little Jimmy over here is climbing the walls, and I need to get the maths done, and I need, I need to get through the day. So I need to sort little Jimmy out over here so that I can get on with things and so we can do some teaching. And that's fair enough. There's nothing actually wrong with that. But it's, it's responsive. Actually, what I always aim to do, what I always strive to do as a teacher was to be much more shaping, much more intentional, much more proactive. Actually, I would want to encourage and exhort and call the children to a higher standard, call them out on their honesty, call them out on, on their friendships, on how they are with one another. Not necessarily because I had to, not because the, the lesson wouldn't work if I didn't, but actually because I cared about them. I wanted to invest in them. I wanted to shape them. I wanted them to grow and live strong, healthy lives of love. And actually, the father's discipline of people is never to do with getting through the day. It's never to do with venting his anger. It's never to do with punishment. All that he has poured out freely on himself. Actually, when, when trials and struggles and conviction come, it's his shaping, it's his love, it's his caring that he will not leave us as we are, but he wants us to grow in him. The final thing I want to look at that we've talked about already here is that the, the role of a father is to unconditionally love and accept their children. One of my favorite stories that Jesus told, you may have heard of it in Luke chapter 15, is the story of a young man who insults his father. He runs away. And it's not just the fact that he lives a, 
a, a bad life. It's not just the fact that he squanders his, 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 his money on all kinds of illegal and immoral things. But more than that, actually, he has insulted his dad. He has personally rejected, in the harshest possible way, the love of his father and run away to a distant country. And Jesus says, this is a pretty good picture of what each and every one of us has done with our Father in heaven. But there's a moment, even through hardship, even through discipline, even through suffering, when it says in verse 17, he came to himself. And he says, what am I doing? He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, I just imagine him sort of trudging back. He's getting this little sub story ready of what he's going to say. He says, oh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And you can kind of see his expectations are pretty low of this conversation that's going to happen. It's a kind of just, you know, Dad, just let me sleep in the garage. Like, I'll, anything. I just need a roof over my head. Like, you know, maybe a job. And he says this, treat me as one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father. He's not even running. He's just sort of, it's just there. And he says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. This wasn't a nice, manly kind of, welcome back to the family, son. This was, the literal translation of that is he ran and he fell on his neck. <laughs> it was clumsy. It was an emotional response of my, my son. He's here. It's the embrace of the father. And in that moment, he doesn't put him on probation. He doesn't stick him in the garage. He doesn't stick him in the spare room. Instantly in that moment, he restores the fullness of his son's place in the family, of his dignity, of his life. He says, go and put the robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. Establish him fully as a son of this household in that moment. That son didn't run back to the father in a good place in his life. He'd not spent that journey sorting himself out. He was at rock bottom. He wasn't even running back into the arms of the father. He was trudging with low expectations. But it's the heart of the father to embrace and to love those around us. I've said a number of times before, I think there's a, there's a question. And the answer to that question is probably rattling around deep inside all of us in some way, whether we're aware of it or not. And probably how we answer that question will pretty much define everything about our life. And it's a question that's worth asking yourself at some stage. And the question is this, how does God feel about you? Well, how does God feel about you? Right now, when he takes a look at you, what, what, what goes through his mind? What, what are his thoughts, his feelings? What's his response? And I think the, the answer that we carry in our hearts to that question, and I think we've all got one. Maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't even necessarily consider yourself a follower of God, but I'd like to put it to you. There's an answer in there somewhere. And how we would answer that question will pretty well define everything about how we live. It will define how we carry ourselves. It will define what we aim for. It will define how we do our relationships. It will define our choices. It will define our mood. It will define how we live our lives. I love how Jesus explained how God feels about us. 
even in the last moments before he went to the cross, in John chapter 15, you can go there if you want to, he was speaking to his closest. And you've got to understand that this, this moment, Jesus was hours away from the greatest, most heroic, most noble, most compassionate, most loving act of sacrifice that the universe has ever seen. You can only imagine the delight and the pride and the love of the Father towards the Son as he saw him walk through that act of obedience of sacrificing himself for the rescue of humanity. And Jesus says this, he says to his friends, as, as the Father has loved me. Can you imagine the burning heart of love for the Father, for the Son in that moment? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So with the same zeal, with the same intensity, with the same passion, with the same depth, with the same infinite well of love that, that Father God loves Jesus the Son. Well, he says, well, that's how I love you. It's an amazing revelation that God loves you the same way that God loves God. God loves you with the same intensity, with the same passion, with the same excitement, with the same delight that God loves God. And then he takes it even a stage further. A couple of pages further on in chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father at this stage, and we get to eavesdrop in on it. In, in verse 23, he says, So that the world may know that you sent me, he's speaking to Father God, and have loved them even as you love me. Even as the same degree, the same measure that you have loved me, that Father is how you love them. When we understand that, when you get that, that the, the answer to that question, how does God feel about me when I've been lethargic, when I've scarcely had any time to spend with God over Christmas? How does God feel about me? He's passionately in love with you. When you feel like you've messed up again and your commitment to him is so faltering, how does God feel about me this week? Oh, he delights in you. Delights in you. That will help you. You see, this is how we relate to things. This is how we, we reason in our heads. We think, well, I must not be a very good Christian because if I was, then I wouldn't struggle to do this. I must not be a very good Christian because if, if I didn't, then, then, then I wouldn't keep doing that all the time. I wouldn't keep falling in this hole and I wouldn't keep screwing up. My commitment to him would be deeper. You know what? God wants you to trust in the depth of his commitment to you more than your ability to commit to him. Amen. We think, you know what, if I can just never go wrong in my Christian walk, then everything will be brilliant. <laughs> if I can just make sure that I'm so committed that I never put a foot wrong, then, then everything's going everything's to be great. My Christian life is going to go swimmingly. Anyone ever tried that? How did it go for you? God wants us to trust in the depth of his commitment to you, not your ability to commit to him. Peter had this trouble. So Peter, a few minutes after this, Jesus says, all of you tonight, you're going to betray me. Peter's like, no, I'm not. No, 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 Peter, you're going to betray me. Doesn't mean you don't love me. It's just your, your weak love is still sincere. It's still true. I can see your heart. No, 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 no. I'm never going to do that. No, even if everybody else lets you down, even if everybody else runs away, I'll never do it. I'll die for you if I have to. No, Peter, 
No, you're not. And that wasn't because Jesus didn't love Peter less. It wasn't because Jesus had less an opinion of Peter. In fact, just a few moments previously, he had said, Peter, you are clean. Peter tried to wash his feet and got into a whole argument with Jesus. And Peter was like, whoa, you need to wash me. He said, no, 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 Peter, you're clean. You're you're accepted by me. You're loved. You're perfect before me. And the, the first opportunity Jesus had after he rose again from the grave, he came straight to Peter and he restored him. Jesus had no less love for Peter. He had no less an esteem of Peter. He just says, your love is faltering. It's weak. Trust in my commitment to you. Amen. That's the heart of the Father. Time is slipping away. Shall we stand together? I think you might be here this morning and you're kind of thinking, well, can I... Can I have that kind of relationship with a father in heaven like Jesus did and like people here seem to? Can, can I have that? And the wonderful answer is yes. And that's not because of your ability to do anything. That's not because you've been coming to church for a while or because your mum and dad come to church or because you decide to turn over a new leaf. It's because the Father embraces you. That's what he does when we come to him. Do you remember that in that story? That young man came pretty well at rock bottom. He'd not done anything in his life apart from insult his father and go wrong. He'd not done anything to redeem himself. Even when he came home, he was looking for a job and a roof over his head. And the Father wraps that embrace around him. And it doesn't require you to have attained to a certain standard it doesn't require you to have made up for the mistakes that you've made why because Jesus has already made up for the mistakes that you've made amen he's already paid that price there is no punishment for the person who runs to Jesus because he's already taken that on himself so all he asks us to do is the thing that we sang in the song earlier which is come We don't have an altar. (laughs) It means come to him. Come to Jesus. And you can do that this morning. I'm going to pray and you can use that prayer. You don't even need to say it out loud yet. You can use that prayer just in your heart to draw near to him. Maybe there's some here this morning. I'm sure there are some here this morning actually. And you've been walking with God for a long time. But actually you know that the answer to that question that's in your heart is probably something other than he loves me and maybe you've been carrying around these perceptions of who he is how he feels about you and actually you need that embrace of the father this morning maybe just as much as the person who's never had it and this is what the Holy Spirit does I quoted earlier from Romans chapter 5 where he says actually the the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says actually he testifies. He, he, he kind of almost gives a testimony to our hearts that we are his sons and daughters, that we are adopted, that we're chosen, we're loved. So just as Matt plays, I'm going to pray. Father, I'm just going to pray on behalf of anyone and you know you're, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian at the moment. But actually you want to 
So I'd, I'd, I'd like to have that relationship with the Father like he's talking about. You can pray this quietly with me. Heavenly Father, I just turn and I come to you. I haven't believed in you or lived a good life. I've largely ignored you. I've not done the things that you said. I've rejected you. I did it. And I'm sorry, and I come right back now. I come back into your house, into your family. Wrap your arms around me. Because I trust that Jesus has taken all the blame. So I don't have to. So please, will you meet me this morning? Will you pour that love into my heart so I can have a relationship with my Father in heaven? And Father, I just pray over all of us this morning, would you send your Holy Spirit? Lord, as we just reach out our hands, if you want to receive from him, just reach out your hands to him. Lord, break off every lie. Lord, break off every misconception where we thought that you were harsh, where we thought that you were after us, where we thought that you had your eye on us for all the wrong reasons, where we thought that you've accepted us, but rather begrudgingly, because you had to. Lord, we receive that wonderful truth that we are the apple of your eye, that we are loved by you, that we are your cherished possession, that you gave it all for us because you wanted to. Come and breathe a fresh Holy Spirit this morning. Breathe a fresh Holy Spirit this morning. Fresh wind of God. Right across this place, Lord, just pour in love of the Father to our lives.